Jackie Lockie, your financial planning maestro. This series of podcasts is aimed at financial planning professionals and also those who are looking to enter the financial planning profession. We will be talking during the podcast about all things certified financial planner certification related, talking to other CFPs around the world, and also we will be dropping in on some new entrants who've just entered the financial planning profession, and we'll be checking up along the way on a regular basis with them to see how they're getting on. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hello and welcome. I'm Jackie Lockie, your financial planning maestro. And in today's podcast, I'm joined by a very special guest, and that is Joanna Redmond. Hello, Jo. Hi, Jackie. Thanks for joining me today. We are going to talk all things CFP related today, aren't we? We are. I'm very excited. <laughs> Great. So I'm going to dive straight in and ask you a bit of, to tell us a bit about your background and how you came across the CFP and why you decided to embark upon it. Uh, okay, well, uh, I am currently a financial planner and director of a small family a financial planning firm. Um, I, I came into this because it was part of my family. My father was a financial planner and, you know, I grew up learning about how to have uh, good financial sense in my life. So it seemed only fitting that I continue on and, and do what he was doing. Um, I found out about the CFP because... Uh, through my father's work with the Institute of Financial Planning, being a CFP was just what you did. You, If you were going to be a good financial planner, then you were going to be a CFP. And I was told that is what you are going to achieve and started out on my journey uh, to, to pass the qualification myself. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. So, and, you know, you've been a very vocal participant in both the paraplanner world and the financial planning world, um, encouraging people to embark on the CFP, haven't you? And that's (laughs) based on your own journey and experiences of of the benefits that you've gained from, from doing the CFP process. Yeah, I think so. Um, I have been quite vocal about it. That's probably part personality and part passion for the CFP. (laughs) But, you know, people talk about this light bulb moment that you get when you look at the whole of a client's financial planning and what they want to achieve with their money and in their life and what's important to them. Um, And it's almost like this web of information that you need to understand and how one objective might interfere with another and what you might do to help a client achieve their objectives. And and I've really gotten to the point now where I can't see what suitable advice might be for a client if I haven't gone through the financial planning process first. Yeah, yeah. And and I guess your clients are really feeling the benefit of that because I can remember meeting one of your clients actually when you got married and uh, and I said to them, uh, what do you do for a living? And they said, I'm retired. And <laughs> what was interesting was that they didn't say I'm a retired something. They didn't say I'm a retired librarian or a retired engineer or teacher or whatever it might be. And you know, I saw some research um, that the BBC did um, a couple of years ago now saying that 
something like 90 odd percent of people say I'm a retired something. Um, and yet your, your client was the first person that I came across that just said, mm, I'm retired. <laughs> oh, I shall have to thank them. I? <laughs> you will. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, it's important to understand that not everybody wants to finish work. You know, we do have some clients who will never stop, um, you know, and they just keep going. And that's because they've chosen to, not because perhaps they have to, because of the finances involved with working. Um, but yeah, we, it is nice. It's a big, so it's a big perk to this job to help other people achieve what they want to achieve. And part of the reason I came to be a financial planner is because I had left school and decided I wasn't going to go to university. And I started working in the prison service because a friend told me there was a three month temporary contract there. And, you know, my father had told me if I was staying at home and not going to university that I needed to pay some rent, which meant I had to get a job. <laughs> and a three month temporary contract turned into six years wow. of working there. But, you know, the kind of person you are to work in the prison service is the kind of environment where you keep people inside you don't help them achieve what they want to achieve in future it's very much the opposite of what we're doing with people here and I wanted to help people enjoy their lives and you know I, I found that power planning actually was the best fit for me to begin with because I was quite analytical and technically minded and I was interested in the numbers and you know the the tax relief I could find on a pension contribution one year and things like that so power planning was a natural fit for me um financial planning and becoming a CFP um has been something that pushed me out of my comfort zone um which is important I hear it's important to do that from time to time yeah <laughs> um and being the person responsible for giving the advice um and explaining how everything worked to our clients was something that was not as much of a natural fit for me. Um, but I have been doing it now for uh, five or six years um, and it, it, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. And if our clients are telling you that they are a retired person and, and not an ex-professional, um, that's great. I should yeah. find that person, as I say, and, and congratulate them. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you who it was later. <laughs> Oh, I think I know. <laughs> Excellent. Right. Well, let's get back to your CFP. So when you let's did your submission, um, yes. which was a little while ago now, you did the old level six, as we call it. Yeah. Um, did you, how did you find that process? You know, you talk about your, your light bulb moment and you can't imagine doing anything else, but it wasn't, it wasn't a straightforward process for you. Uh, no. Uh, it, it, it wasn't straightforward at the time. And when I look back on how I felt as I was going through the process, I can remember the, the real big emotions, like the feelings of despair when you got a failed submission and you, you read your feedback from the assessor. And, and I was I put my heart and soul into my CFP submission, as I think most candidates still do yeah. now. Um, and the whole process felt difficult as such but I think that the hardest thing was proving that you knew what you were doing in order to and putting those words on paper it, it's almost you know not what you're doing every day you might give 
recommendations to clients bit by bit as you address each different area uh, I think putting together a whole dossier of, of a financial plan for a client was a big challenge for me and I think mine's I think I wrote about I don't know 75 pages or so um, for my case study clients who I will never forget um, and yeah it was it was tricky but I tell you what the I think you get a lot of the benefit from the first submission and actually taking the time to write your plan and to take on board feedback that you receive if you aren't fortunate to pass first time um, and developing it from there. I think you get the majority of that light bulb moment in the financial planning process from that first submission. Yeah, yeah. So you actually, when you passed, you became an assessor fairly quickly afterwards. How long afterwards was no so I I passed the CFP about seven years ago I think and I've been assessing up until recently so uh, for about six years so I became an assessor straight away and I think my reasons for doing it I'm not proud of them but I think having passed it fighting through the submissions I felt like being the person who passed people after that and reading through other people's submissions because I was interested in what they were doing and what they were writing and how other people were presenting financial plans and I thought mostly it would give me my own CPD and my own experience as I read through other people's attempts at the CFP but that that was just how it started um, after a while of marking a few pages, you uh, a few papers even, you realise that, you know, if you cut me in the middle, I would probably have the lettering CFP <laughs> running through me because I was, as an assessor, I am determined to help people pass. And when I write feedback to candidates, I do it hoping that they will see it and realize that actually maybe there's not so much for them to do in order to turn a potential, you know, a a fail into a pass. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about today. So firstly, we should make it clear that, um, you are not a, a CFP assessor anymore, um, and that's why you are able to talk about these things. But just given your personal views on things that you found um, during your time as an assessor. Um, so if anybody wants uh, to argue about it with any of the assessors, then they need to contact the CISI directly and not Joe, <laughs> please. Um, so... Joe, give us a benefit of some of your wisdom, because I think like me, I was tossing up the other day and I think I've probably marked about a thousand of the old level six CFP plans. Um, And you've done a mixture of lots of the old level six, as well as some of the the level sevens um, before you step down as an assessor too. Um, So one of the things I talk about with my clients who come to me who failed one of their assessments is this issue of what, what the feedback letter looks like and feels like. So just walk us through, you know, what you would say to people who perhaps in, you know, in the next few weeks aren't going to get that pass for their level seven case study assessment. You know, what should their approach be? Uh, I think that it's really difficult not to take the feedback personally. If you were like me and you put your heart and soul into your submission and you get somebody uh, who you don't know coming back to you and saying that this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. Uh, I think, you know, you would be a lot stronger person than me if you didn't take that 
personally. Um, but really, you shouldn't. You shouldn't take it personally because the assessors who are currently marking, who I've worked with in the past, they all want candidates to pass. You know, we want to mark papers where we see people passing. Um, we don't do it to fail them. Um, and I think there is a temptation to think that the assessor is after you when you get your feedback and you see the things that they've written. But when I was marking papers, I had a, a logic to how I would do it. So I would read through the submission to begin with um, and make some notes on things that I saw that were obvious that I might fail a standard for and then I would cross-reference the standards with what I had read so as a candidate I think one of the first things you ought to do when you receive your feedback is to read through the standards again and ask yourself is it fair you know is what they're saying fair because I would say that the answer would be well yes actually the assessors saw something that I didn't see uh, and picked up on something that I hadn't done. Um, and you can make a note and say, well, I will go back and I will address that and I'll, I'll see if I can make it better. Um, yeah. I think that some candidates are faced with rather a lot of feedback. And actually, I feel like when that happens, when I write a lot of feedback and it gets sent to a candidate, I'm doing that because I'm trying to help trying to help them see that something they said in one area perhaps contradicted something that they said in another. Yeah. Uh, and those two things together mean that there's some failed standards. And actually we but, see that quite a lot. We've seen it quite a lot in the past, haven't we? Where, you know, somebody makes a couple of, you know, quite sizable errors near the start of their financial plan. And that cascade effect that ripples right through the plan then means that the feedback, because as an assessor, you're picking up every point where the error is is actually touching something else, then the feedback can be significantly larger um, just because they've made, you know, one or two significant errors yeah. early on, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think um, I think if there's a fundamental flaw in the planning, that means right at the beginning something was said or calculated incorrectly, or you know, or was technically incorrect, an assessor will not be able to pass more of the standards because of that one thing. Yeah. So you may have failed half a dozen standards, but they might just all be for one error or one area that needs clarification and interestingly I would often write the candidate just needs to justify why they've said this and I would find that on resubmission the candidate would have rewritten the whole section based on the feedback that they received but I never never needed them to rewrite the whole section <laughs> I just needed them to clarify their thinking because an assessor asking for clarification doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong. It means that they can't see the full reasoning yeah. and they need more. Um, so sometimes it's just a case of adding in a few sentences or even a few words and you can turn a failed standard into a past one. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's a really good point because the assessors are trying to give the candidates the benefit of the doubt in situations like that. But if there isn't quite enough there to to give them you know, a, a plus for, for that particular standard to pass it, um, then that's where those kind of comments come from, isn't it? Yeah. And benefit of the doubt, it's interesting that you say that because that's a big thing when you're marking a paper, because you can, you don't need 100% to pass the CFP. So an assessor can give the benefit of the doubt on 
a couple of standards, perhaps, and you, you know, it doesn't affect the overall pass or fail position of a submission. But if, as I was working through, I found that I was having to do that again and again and again, you know, you get to the point where there is, you know, there's no more benefit to be given. Yes. <laughs> you have to, you have to just say, I'm sorry, but this hasn't met the standards to pass. Yeah. And one of one of the issues that I've seen um, with, you know, the other, perhaps the other side of the fence in trying to support people through their resubmissions is that when they get their feedback letter, they kind of, they look at it with what I term kind of angry goggles on, disappointed goggles, oh, I failed. And, you know, when they read it, they, they read something different. Whereas I think, as I've explained to, to, to some people, that they when the assessor is writing the feedback, they've got got your plan in their head, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, they have. So I would I would be writing my feedback as I read the plan. And the candidate submitted their pages, you know, a few weeks ago. Now it's been a while since they had a look and they saw it. And you know, nobody submits this with the intention of failing. You know, everyone's written it thinking that they're going to pass because yeah. they've tried their best and they've followed the standards. So hearing that you failed is disappointing. You know, it's human nature to to feel that way. But I um I had a lot of support around me when I was a candidate. Um, you know, I had a colleague that was already a CFP. I had friends who had passed the CFP and who were offering help. And one of them, Jackie, I think it could have been you, <laughs> said to me, <laughs> read through the feedback and be honest with yourself. It's just you. You sit by yourself, read through it before you've spoken to anyone else and ask yourself honestly as you read the feedback. Is that, like I said before, is that fair? And if it is, highlight it you know you need to come back to it. And then if you have a few points that you don't understand or you firmly believe that they are not correct, um, left over that have been, you know, that haven't been highlighted as you were going through everything, then, you know, you can always ask for extra support from the CISI for clarification on the feedback. So the assessor can come back and give more information to help. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really great point. And one of the particular issues that I think we have both found in assessing over the years is assumptions. It's my favourite subject uh, for those people who've listened to one of my other podcasts will we'll have already established. Um, but this, the issue of assumptions and not picking the figure, but picking the reason and explaining the reason is is perhaps one of the bugbears, I think, of many assessors, isn't it? Um, it is. And I think I think one of the problems with assumptions is you are actually making assumptions in the CFP all the time. You're even making assumptions that, you know, the, the client's lives will continue as they've been written on paper forever. That's an assumption that yeah. you're making. And if you're going to assume that there's a change in lifestyle because the clients have said that's what's happening, that's an assumption and it needs to be stated. It needs to be reasoned and it has to be reasonable. Um, I think one of the issues with feedback on assumptions is that they could be stated and, you know, justified. Um, and you can see why a candidate has chosen a figure that they're using for, you know, an increase in, in one way or the other. But you can see why they've chosen that figure, but they just haven't explained why. 
And again, this comes back to what I was saying before. If I said that an assumption wasn't reasoned in a plan, a candidate would change the figure and revisit their assumption and still not explain why they'd done what they'd done. So it's all about making sure that you've explained yourself. And generally, a feeling of an assessor is, if I can't see why you've said something and why you're doing something, then a client is unlikely to understand what you've said. Yes, definitely. I've seen many of time of some plans that I have read that say, well, obviously, as you can see, and I think to myself, it's not obvious because I can't see. (laughs) And I thought I kind of knew what I was looking at. Um, And do you think that that this lack of explanation of the assumptions in particular, but obviously lots of other areas as well, is because we, you know, we really need to encourage people who are embarking on this process to really understand what the assessment criteria is, what the standards are, don't we? Yeah, well, the CFP is unusual in that respect because it gives you what the assessors are looking for in those standards. And we really are only looking to see whether you have passed or failed those sentences in the standards that you've given before. And I I believe I've read some CFP submissions where the candidates haven't even really been aware of what the standards were. They're just so sure that what they were doing was going to be correct enough to pass. But we really are looking to just tick or cross in a box Have you met this standard? So if it says, have you talked about the application process for products or have you mentioned how underwriting works for insurance? You know, they're not technical points. They aren't points that, um, you know, show how great you are as a financial planner. They're very simple. And if you'd like a tick in that box, you need to put a sentence in there that explains. Yeah. And actually, in the training courses that I'm launching imminently, um, we have backed up enough time in order for candidates to mark their own plans um, and to assess them against the standards and kind of pretend to be an assessor. Um, do you think that that kind of thing it, you know, really helps drive home you know, what the assessment criteria is, doesn't it? Definitely. That, well, that's one of the things that you do when you train to become an assessor. You mark some past plans you know, in a, a safe space, it's not a candidate that's waiting for their results. It, it's just a mock marking. Um, and it does teach you to really question whether or not standards have been met. Uh, mm. And that's what assessors are doing the whole time. So if you can do that of your own work, then, uh, yeah, I think that would be really helpful. Excellent. So let's move on to the final bit of our conversation about people who are tips for people who are either in the middle of their case study assessment at the moment, maybe um, when they get their results through um, in the next few weeks, they aren't successful with that particular submission, or people sitting on the fence thinking, um, you know, the CFP has had not the greatest of uh, of press over the last um, decade or so. Um, so you know, maybe now things are starting to move um, and things, the environment is more positive towards CFP, you know, with the FCA um, moving towards that, that kind of approach. Um, maybe I should start thinking about it. So do you have any tips for those people in those two different situations? Well, I, I think if you are sitting on the fence, wondering if you should do it, um, and particularly your comment there on on the bad press, I guess, that's been associated with, with the process, um, I, I just think that you should do it. You should give it a try. And the reason for that is it's not easy. If it were easy, everybody would have it. And there is a reason why there are only so many CFPs in the UK 
meeting the global standard for financial planning advice. You know, it's not an easy thing to do. However, it doesn't mean that it's insurmountable. So some of the bad press comes from people who've been disappointed with their results. And that's understandable. Um, But you aren't going to know if you're one of those people or not if you don't give it a try. Yeah. But for people who are going through the process um, and you may be starting out or are waiting for their feedback, um, you know, they've already committed. They don't need me to encourage them to take the CFP. But um, uh, I think that I've also stolen this tip from someone who gave it to me, which was to give yourself enough time when you're writing your submission to put it away. Put it in a drawer once you've written it or save it on your computer and don't look at it for a week and come back to it and read it again because I guarantee you will see something that you've written in there that doesn't meet a standard and you'll change it and you'll catch something. But if you wait until the very last minute to submit and complete your work and you do it in a bit of a hurry and you rush the last couple of sentence uh, sections, you know, that's not going to get you through the process you need to be able to give yourself enough time to ignore it for a few days and come back and read it again with fresh eyes and I did that on my submission um as well so uh, and I got through in the end so maybe it works (laughs) I think it absolutely Um, does work (laughs) (laughs) but um I think one of one of my bugbears as an assessor was watching a candidate tie themselves in knots so if you have found that something you're trying to recommend or something you're trying to explain on paper doesn't make sense. Uh, It it doesn't make sense or it's too long. um, You've gone over three pages talking about the lifetime allowance, then it's, it's too complicated. And we see candidates tying themselves up in knots. So um, you need to watch out for making it too difficult because it doesn't need to be difficult. You know, there's a limit on the number of pages that you can submit now. That's new for the level seven. And, you know, that's because it is possible to pass without submitting 150 pages of a financial plan. So if you're making it too complicated, it is unlikely to be clear to an assessor or to a prospective client that you know what you're talking about. Yeah. So I I think, yeah. (laughs) No, don't waffle, um, which is something that I do have a tendency to do. But um, the CFP keeps you in check um, on that one. I think things that I used to see were big contradictions. So if you had a client, for example, total example, I'm just making this up out of thin air. Uh, If you had a client that was earning uh, an income from their employment and they were paid a bonus every year and you've done your sums to work out if they've got some, say, surplus income to use towards meeting their goals, don't then write a sentence that says, of course, bonuses aren't guaranteed. You might not receive them. Because that one tiny sentence, while you think you are alerting a client to a potential pitfall in the case study environment, you're actually contradicting yourself because you're using that income as though it is guaranteed for your recommendations. Yeah. So you've done loads of work, masters of calculations to work out what you might recommend. And then just one tiny sentence just takes it all away. Mm. And we see that with uh, state pension Uh, assumptions of course we have that gold-plated triple lock provided by the government on state pensions in future 
Um, if you are going to use the triple lock for your state pension for your clients, then you need to make sure that you're applying it properly and that you do use the higher of the three assumptions related to the triple lock itself and not just increase it by inflation every year. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's a top tip or if that's actually an example of me waffling there, <laughs> but that's something that we see all the time. You can't you can't pass the assumptions section if something as simple as the triple lock is flawed. Yeah, yeah. Lots, <laughs> lots and lots of great tips there. Uh, Joanna, thank you very much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk all things CFP assessment related. Oh, you're welcome. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. It's quite interesting to listen to the different views and discussions with different people, isn't it? Join me next time when we'll be discussing all things Certified Financial Planner related and catching up with those new to the financial planning profession. Bye for now.